kind of wanted to wait for everyone to be back because I needed to clarify something. everyone I feel like it's less than it was okay I don't care about the numbers but I need to clarify something so I wanted people to be back for the clarification some things, um, so I will. Um, and we're also going to pull out 15 minutes from discussions now um, to add more time for questions, like so that they're not um, cut off. But um, I've, many people came to bring up the whole issue of disease and of cancer specifically. Um, so I was a little bit confused about the reaction because I wasn't implying anything about any particular like specific situation I was answering like the question that I was answering is what do you make of this could it be this and I'm saying yes it could be that right to how to reconcile it so I want to make it clear what I'm not saying um, and then say what I what I am saying um, so what I am not saying is that when someone is sick that I walk up to them and be like well probably because of something you did right which is why I explicitly said that this is not a punishment and emphatically was repeating that this is not a punishment, right? But if somebody is asking how to make sense of their state, it is not wrong to also say that whether passively or actively that God is permitting this, then it means that I can benefit. I'm not saying you have disease so that you can benefit, but I'm saying that having it, in having a disease, I can benefit, right? I'm also saying that if we are agreeing on the purpose of life being beyond the body, right, then my focus shouldn't just be on the body, right? So I'm not advocating people going around telling people who have any illness that it's probably because of something they did. I'm not suggesting that I didn't say it, but I'm also saying that it can be a possibility that God is using it. And that if I have a spiritually minded personality, I should be able to accept that. And this is, in my opinion, this is what Christ taught, right? Christ did say to us, he who would be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me, right? And the promise is resurrection. The promise was never worldly glory. The promise was never worldly success. That was not the promise, right? That is not what Christianity um, is about. So I would also encourage, like I'm not that standoffish, maybe I am and I don't know. Um, I don't think I'm standoffish. Um, is to ask, like is to raise and ask what do you mean when you say that? The best way to ever find out what somebody means is to ask them um, rather than to assume it um, so that we can actually get somewhere profitable because I had no clue um, as people from my church can tell you sometimes how I'm perceived um, and so it's important to just ask me because I, I won't butt your head off right away, maybe the second time um, but not the first. Daniel. Sounds good. Is it something you need or... No problem. 
I was trying to do that in lecture one, but I clearly didn't do it well. Um, so, obviously, what about this orthodox? So, whatever he's saying is orthodox. Um, basically, the, the human is body, soul, spirit. Soul is the physical life of something. Okay, it's what makes a bunch of elements alive. Because you can take the same element, elements, not or elephants, um, that make um, somebody alive and put them on a table and they won't be alive. Right? And so we call the soul whatever it is that gives it life. And so we share that with animals. So the soul sometimes is used accidentally, interchangeably with spirit. Okay? The spirit is what is uniquely human, the human spirit, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, that is in the image and likeness of God, right? That gives me his characteristics, that gives me his DNA, which is his perfection. It's me attempting to attain that. And the body is the body. We're, we're overly familiar with the body. Um, and so what Abuna Metta is, is kind of zooming in on is the consciousness, okay, of making decisions, which he's calling the self, right, or the id, or the ego, depending on which way you want to look at it, is saying that I have this cognitive ability to make decisions, and, it's, and this is what he's identifying as the self, right, of who is this self aligned with, the spirit, okay, that wants to be in the image and likeness of God, or with the body, um, and that's what this whole thing is, is about. And all of Christianity, Christ said, deny yourself and follow me, right? And that's what this book is about. So unfortunately, this book isn't like your picker-upper, right? In the sense that it's not like everyone's running out of here being like, I'm so happy, right? This is a, a sermon given at the beginning of Lent, <laughs> which is saying, do you know yourself? And it's uncomfortable. So... I'm, I'm not overly apologetic that we're not, like, weeping and, and joy, okay, at this retreat, because we're doing something wrong, right? And so it's, if I don't identify that wrong, I won't find the occasion for joy, because I'm going to be living in the wrong, um, and I'm going to get wrong results. So I'm semi-apologetic, and I'm sorry, but I am definitely was not trying to say, like, you have disease, suck it up, you did something. Um, I'm dealing with disease. Um, my mom is a cancer survivor, right? So I'm not, uh, I've, I've lost a nephew at 38 days. So I'm, I'm not someone who hasn't had no suffering in life, sitting from a position of life is so easy, sucks to be you, right? I don't usually talk about those things, but I want to say to, to say I, I am definitely a human being um, and um, not foreign to the concept of suffering. Um, anybody want clarification specifically because I don't know actually quite what was understood or not understood from me or what I was saying and I'm not at all bothered by someone saying that they disagree if there is something specific to be clarified about that whole issue please like ask me I'm not going to be bothered so when death the spirit or the soul departs the Death is when my spirit has left the body or the soul. You need all three to be alive as a human being, right? The spirit is eternal as a gift from God, so the spirit is, is what moves on to whatever is next, right? And then in the resurrection, we receive to ourselves the glorified body. But that's stuff that I really don't know much about, to be quite honest. Um, I don't know anybody who does know a lot about that since it hasn't happened yet. Um, okay. Number three is, sorry, one more preface. Um, there's a lot of things here that seem theoretical and it's intentional um, because if you don't know the theory, you don't know the practical, right? You can't dumb something down unless you know the details, okay? So you won't know why to do the thing that it is that we do if you don't know why it is that we do them, right? It's, it's, it's unless you want to be a robot. And if you do, there can be just a list at the end of do these things. Um, but... God calls us to be rational, right? And if we're able to understand the concepts, it's easier to live um, the concepts. So my style in this, what you're going to see is that I'm going to take the concepts and then I'm going to throw questions at you. And the questions are meant to make you think about what am I doing that he's talking about? And then that should be what helps you change the behavior, right? That's, it's, it's very in, intentional. So if at any point it seems like this doesn't make any sense, just call me out on it and it's fine. Um, I, I've been trying with each thing to say who is this kind of person, right? So that you can think about whether it's you or not. Um, and I was saying to someone earlier, I really think that the reason why Abuna Metta can write so well about where it goes wrong is probably from having done it, 
because um, that's how most of us are. There's a lot of things that I'll call out wrong, and it's because I've thought all of those things, right, or done all of those things, and so I know exactly what the person is, is being very coy with because I did it. Um, and so having gone through those things, you can identify them in others because they're alive. It's like when you see the little kid, right, when it's like they see a toy and they're like, I don't have that toy, right? And you're like, you want the toy, I get it, right? Like they didn't say it, but that's what they mean. So I think it's comforting to see that these things are being identified because it means that it's a common experience. So number three is my obstacles to his work. So number one was, who is you? Okay, yourself. Okay, intro to yourself. Number two um, was God's work on us, what he's trying to do with us. Number three is, what are some obstacles that um, I put up against God's work with me? So before we get into this, this part is not in the book. I want us to just to kind of revisit the whole concept of grace and works um, because this is something that people get very confused about. So if I say it's all God, right, then it means like the Benahamadi, like I'm just sitting here. Um, then like how can you fault me for whatever wrong that I do if it was your work um, to begin with? And at the same time, if I think it's all me, then what is God doing? Like what, what, is, what is the purpose? So... Hence, we have the whole grace versus works debate, which isn't really a debate. Um, so the idea is relationship, okay? So I'm going to overuse this analogy. I've done it five billion times. I'm sorry, right? Because it was the only thing that was real to me. When my first nephew was, was born, right? Cutest thing in the world. He didn't do anything to deserve to be cute. He was just born, right? Other kids might have thought he was the ugliest thing, but because he's my nephew, right? In my view, he's the, the cutest one right? Um, it's probably better to talk about his parents than the uncle, but so let's say his, his parents love him, hopefully, right? Is that they had this kid, this kid is their product, they want to have a relationship with their kid, the kid didn't deserve to be born, the kid didn't do anything to be born, the kid was just born. What do the parents do? They pour gifts on this kid, right? They're feeding him, they're giving him gifts, they're buying him toys. I mean, even when he's, like, entertained by a keychain, <laughs> they're still paying money for toys, right? Like, that, that they'll like, they'll do all this stuff. As the kid grows, he's still dependent on the parents, and so there's still a mostly a taking relationship. As the kid starts to grow and develop an intellect, right, he becomes able to decide whether he wants to be a part of this relationship, right? He can say, I don't want to talk to you right, or I don't want to take your stuff, right, like that, that's a possibility, it's also a possibility, it says this is great, and I want to be your friend, and let's do these things, right, so let's say, for example, the kid wants to be a physician, and he's not that great at school, the dad might say, I want to get you a tutor, right, as a gift, you didn't earn a tutor, in fact, it's the opposite, you suck at school, <laughs> um, but I want to give you a tutor to help you get, like, what it is that you want, this is a gift. It's free, right? You didn't earn it. That's what grace is, right? This kid has the option to do it or not. The kid has the option to use it or not, right? The kid could say, I don't even ever want to talk to you. And it might be that the dad wants to give the gift, but because they never talk, can't even offer the gift to the kid, right? So grace is this continual giving. It's this gift, right? The works is my interaction, my um, reception or non-reception of this relationship with this other person. So I have a say in my salvation, right? I have a role in my salvation. It's up to me to respond or not. So the first lecture, like I said, exposure to ourselves, and there's more to it than what was said. So self-knowledge is the key, and self-knowledge, self-knowledge is, is humility. If you want the definition of humility, it's self-knowledge. Um, self-knowledge can be very painful. Um, I remember I often avoided looking at bank statements because um, I was afraid to find out what I already knew to be true, um, that there was nothing in there. Um, and it was because of squandering, right? Like it's not because of my circumstances, it was from squandering. Um, so we often avoid um, self-reflection and self-examination because we, we don't want to deal with reality, right? We don't want to see the empty bank account. Um, and reality is not what we want to deal with. 
So the third part of Abuna Mantha's book, Part C, is not to put obstacles in God's way of completing his plan at the right time. So he says, there are many ways of opposition used by man due to human ignorance and blindness to prevent God's destroying the self, such as evading God's discipline and trying to escape from ordeals. This could be through lies, bribery, or changing one's job, position, or home. It could be by means of divorce or litigation, yielding to sin, or even changing one's creed. It could also be by pretending to be angry or behaving cruelly. All these means man uses to avoid God's disciplinary measures, so wisely applied and so appropriate. Yet God's sole intent is to save your soul from self-glorification. Man may complain and protest and rise up against God's discipline, but he will then use other people to compel the soul to reveal its ego so it can be broken down. Because of this process, man's self rebels against God and his actions, which is a great offense against God. He therefore increases his severity towards man's errant soul, and the time taken to defeat the power of the self is um, prolonged. So we're seeing again this concept of man becoming God, right? Of saying, I'm going to escape this thing that God's doing, and whatever I think um, is going to be right is how I'm going to live. So I'm going to go through these sections of what he says. So the first obstacle that we often throw at God is falsifying God's work. Okay, which in plain English is faking it. So this is where he says, by pretending that the old self is dead when it is not, okay, or to make it appear that it has developed into the mature new man when it is still like a mere child or even an embryo. Okay, so this is, you got to remember that when I'm is giving this talk to monks, right? So these are people who are like theoretically died to the world, and, and very religious devout people. So this would resonate very deeply with them, but it should resonate to all Christians, because a lot of us are faking it. Um, so this is a very Antonian concept. Um, St. Anthony always taught, know yourself, know God. Right. So the beginning is self-knowledge of being real about who you are. Um, and so the self is now, in this case that he's talking about, pretending to be dead in order to avoid death, right? This is like that, like that one kind of bear, um, where it's like, oh, there's two kinds, there's black and brown, I don't remember which is which. One, you make lots of noise, the other, you play dead, okay? And if you play dead, and it leaves you alone because it counts you already as not a threat. And so this is what the soul is doing to God, or the spirit is doing, the self is doing to God, of saying, yeah, yeah, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, don't touch me, right? And so it'll put on false pretentiousness of, of acting as a religious person. Um, meanwhile, self-gratifying at every opportunity. Um, so faking, brainwashing, act like a zombie. Um, I don't know. It's, it's doing what everyone else is doing for the sake of not being identified as different. Whereas like, if you need me to do this, I'll do this. Right? Whereas internally, that's not what's going on. And this is often the right-hand war. We call the right-hand wars or presumptuous sins. Um, where the devil will actively encourage you towards acts of righteousness um, because it's false righteousness and that's why he's encouraging you to do it because it's to serve your own means. It's not doing righteousness because it's right. It's doing it because it allows me to get away with doing something else that I wish to do. This is a very serious matter for any man, says Abuna. For at any moment God could forsake him and he would lose forever his potential to achieve control of the self, which is treachery and falsehood. The evil one, this is the right-hand war, the evil one would encourage him gratefully and skillfully in his pretense and deceit. The devil would not only deceive the man himself, but through him others as well. See to it that no one fail to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it the many become defiled. He's quoting Hebrews. Um, because here's a person who's playing the role of teacher or holy man, right? Whether it's in your house, whether it's to your friends, to your family, whether it's you as a Sunday school servant, or whether it's you just giving advice to somebody random, where you are putting on this big show of holiness, right? Meanwhile, your internal life is in shambles. So I'll read this slowly, and I'm going to ask you to listen to each one and think where you might do these. He says it just point blank. The characteristics of the deceitful soul are as follows. Number one, it speaks 
of the love of God, but there is no zeal for the love of God at all. Number two, it preaches the cross and suffering, yet it is not ready to tolerate injustice or humiliation or pain. Number three, it preaches the glory of the resurrection, yet there is no inner action to prove that it has risen above its lust and adultery. Number four, it preaches fervently for the salvation of sinners, but inwardly its heart is as cold as ice, lacking any concern about sinners or sin, or any desire for people's salvation. It hints or even claims that it speaks not of itself, but by the grace of God inspiring its tongue, but in the light of the Holy Spirit it is patently clear to that soul and to others that in fact it loves to preach for show and praise of self alone. This is a, like a, a bad list. Like, like this, is, this is a very difficult section. This is a section when I read, I went and messaged my spiritual father. Therefore, clearly its works are not of grace, but natural skills, natural skills meaning just innate skills, and gifts that the man or self has used against the grace of God in order to escape death, right? Where it's like, okay, you want me to do these things? I'll do these things. Just leave me alone. I'll come and I'll tell people all this stuff. Don't do sin. Sin is bad. I'm really worried for you. I want your salvation. I pray for the salvation of the whole world. Meanwhile, there's not a single thing in your life that testifies that you actually want that. It has used God's word against him to prevent him from fulfilling his plan to destroy the self. Thus, it defeats the real work of God in developing the new spiritual man within the selves. The very troubling thing here is that man mistakes his natural gifts as divine ones and then uses them against grace. Not only does the person use it against God, but manipulates its meaning and flips grace on its head. That's what's going on here. It's someone who takes holy things and uses them to serve myself. This is really being an antichrist. It's like taking your engagement ring that you received from someone else and then using it as a gift to a new fiancé. Right? This, is, this is what he's saying. Right, is you're taking something that I gave you as a gift and you're pawning it off and completely changing its meaning. This was something so intimate between me and you and you're now giving it to somebody else as a sign of your intimacy, as it was a sign of your gift to the person when you took something as a gift and pawned it off as a being from yourself. Or even worse, your parents gave you money to go to a rehab program and you took the money and used it to buy a new stash of drugs. Right? Where it's like, no, I saved up my whole life earning to pay for this, right? and you're buying your drugs with this. Or you went to the rehab center that your dad sent you in order to help you. You pretend recovery while there to get people off your back, right? to use a, a more clear analogy. But you are in secret selling and using drugs there. Right? Where you've, you've turned the rehab center on its head. Right? You took something that had a very sacred meaning and you turned it into the exact opposite place. You made the safe haven a place of the opposite of what it stood for. Nothing could be more insulting, right? Like, this is, this is very insulting. It's one thing to refuse a gift. It's one thing to refuse grace. And a whole other thing to commit sacrilege with it. What you may not realize is that you're becoming an antichrist. You're becoming an abomination of desolation, right? Christ says, behold, and you see... You know, abomination, desolation, standing in the holy places, know that it is near. What that means is something abominable is sitting in the place of holiness, right? So here's this holy image which you've put sin on, right? It would be the equivalent to like, like a Jew, okay, or a Muslim of taking pork and putting it on the altar, right? It would be like someone taking a statue of Satan and putting it on our altar, during liturgy, of taking the opposite of what is what we view as right and holy, and putting it in the exact place of the most sacred to us. Right? This is the equivalent of what we do. You are standing in the holy places and demanding people worship you. Right? This is, is what you're actually doing. Maybe not aware of it, but this is what you're doing. 
Then Abuna goes on to describe that this is the kind of person who acts as a teacher, but is someone who teaches the word and accepts the faith only intellectually. And you know these people by their spirit more than you will know them by their words. Um, like attracts like, right? People who think in a certain way are going to attract other people like them. I remember going through a phase where I was reading a lot. Um, and reading a lot made me more knowledgeable than the average person of my age at the time. And I was close to um, my father's confession. So knowing more made me want to learn even more. Then people would ask me for advice. Then I'd get asked to serve more, right? And then I'd enjoy that more. As I read more, I started to discover that things were wrong in the church, right? This is a phase that a lot of people go through. So then I started getting critical of bad teachers and bad clergy and bad this and bad that and bad Sunday school and bad everyone and its mom, right? <laughs> then I started only making friends with people or monks that I could vent to about things. That became my bonding point, right? Of like, does he recognize how bad everything is? Okay, good, I can talk to him. If they don't, then he's in la-la land. I don't want to talk to that guy, right? I want the guy who's, who's real. Um, and so where I was once excited to hear about knowledge, right, for the sake of the knowledge, right, suddenly I want knowledge to use against people, right? Suddenly something that was pure and good, right, was being used in a very wrong way, with a very wrong um, attitude. Then I started semi-affiliating myself with negative people, right, other haters, right, other people who felt the same way that I could talk to about how bad everyone else is. Right? And I remember even one point going to my, my father's confession in Canada, who's, he's amazing. Um, and I thought he was going to agree with me on what I was coming to him for because I knew he didn't particularly care for some of the practices of this priest that I was going to put on blast. Right? And I'm like, can you believe it, Abuna so-and-so? He went and I described something that he, that he did. And I'm like, isn't that pathetic? Right, like, like I was, and I had no idea what language I was using, right? Because it, it enters into the spirit of negativity, right? Of of how dumb and stupid and uneducated and illiterate spiritually the whole world is. And I thought of when it was going to be like, yeah, I can't believe he did that either. And he literally just stared at me. I was like, who do you think you are? Right, like I thought he was going to like. Like, yeah, man, right? But he didn't. He was like, what authority do you think you have? Who, who put you as the judge of all the priests of our diocese? He was like, if he, in his pastoral duty, felt that this was the right thing to do, who are you to tell him that? It was a necessary, uh, humbling experience. Um, I spoke like an authority. So what saved me at the time? Righteous people who didn't do that, okay? Righteous people um, who lived it um, properly. And so this is why you know them by their fruits. What is the spirit that's there, right? Is it somebody who's bringing you, are you this person or this person you're attached to, the person who's been closer to you and your views? Or are you bringing people closer to what is true, right? To what is, to what is the gospel, Right? What is the spirit of my teaching? Does it match Christ? Right? Or is it me and just me and that's all that it is? And I particularly think that that's an issue lately. People, people who read these days often think everyone else is ignorant. I definitely am not encouraging ignorance. I encourage you all to read and to read a lot more than you do. Okay? But are you reading spiritually? Okay, are you reading because you want to grow in the knowledge of God to increase in your love towards Him? Right, like as St. Isaac the Syrian said that reading gives intellect to a man's prayers. Right, it gives me more knowledge about the person with whom that I'm speaking. Or am I reading to bash people over the head with my so-called knowledge? Right, God humbled Himself and took on the form of a servant and spoke to people in their language. Right, so... Are you doing that with the knowledge that you receive? Because if God, who is all knowledge, right, dealt humbly with people, spoke in their own language, spoke in their own expressions even, right, then, then we ought to do the same. So step number one is you teach mechanically, okay, in terms of obstacles, but you don't live it. 
you may have stimulation by it, right? You might have some cognitive thing turning on where some neurons are firing, um, but it hasn't entered you, right? This is a whole other level. The next sign of this is the loss of empathy. While living among brothers and sisters as members of Christ's body, it has no feelings for fellow members. It does not share their sorrows and has no feelings for their misfortunes. On the contrary, the self endeavors to lord itself over others. It even profits from being in their company to achieve honor and to exercise power over them. Because of its pride and stupidity, the self loses the grace and blessing of fellowship with the saints. So in other words, you have no sense of others, and so you become isolated, and you lose the blessing of being part of the community because you're so self-absorbed, right? You don't have a sense of everybody else that's around you. So it's not just having, not having empathy, but even using someone's weakness as a chance for advancement, right? Of being like, oh, he has a rough time, I'll be the superhero here, and I'll get the praise, right? You don't actually care that the person is going through something. You want to be... Superhero, it's like, no, I say them, I talk to them, don't worry, I got this one, right? Like, I took care of it, thank God for me. Um, so this sometimes will be seen by someone who will get close to youth to become um, a mentor. Showing kindness for someone to divulge personal matters. I'm using this one in particular because there used to be a lot of controversy around this in my home church. Um, where people be like, oh, I want to get close to him, and then, then they'll tell me their secrets. I'm like, why do you want to know his secrets? Like, why, why is that your objective? Then you don't love him, you love his problems, right? Or you love what his problems do for you, right? You love that his problems make you the superhero. What a horrible thing, right? Then you don't love this person. That's not the foundation of outreach, right? And so now you've, you've piggybacked on a person's problem for your self-gain, right? You're not going there to suffer with them. You're going there to be glorified through his sufferings, that's actually an, an opportunist um, and an egocentric manipulator. <laughs> that's, that's what that is, sorry. Um, and it's very, very dangerous, but it's also extremely easy to fall into, extremely easy to fall into, because the self will disguise itself, right? This is what presumptuous sins are. It'll disguise it as, oh, but you're helping him, right? Or, but you're helping her. Maybe, like, maybe you did, but if it was built on a wrong premise, it's going to collapse one day. And you're going to be exposed and that person isn't going to trust you. They're going to hate you, right? And they might hate the church because of you, right? Because you did this in the name of the church. You did this in the name of God and you were lying. It wasn't for them. It was, it was for you. So ask, what is your motive in everything you do? The love of God or the love of you, right? This is something that, that we particularly have to ask ourselves. This grain of wheat that this whole book is about is the self, Right? That's why we're saying it, it needs to die. He then continues, What increases all this deception is man's indwelling natural gifts, such as intelligence, powers of deception, mockery, assumed modesty, craftiness, self-disguise, sin and pride, false humility through sweet words, and a gentle voice. Man is not aware that by using some of these gifts, he's blocking the path for the new man. Right? We're talking about obstacles to God's grace. And is depriving his spirit of the outpouring of truly spiritual gifts. He is impeding Christ's grace, a grace which serves to glorify God. He promotes, he promotes himself instead of practicing self-mortification, thus clearing the way for Christ to be revealed in him so he could be built up by the church and become an honest mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit. Instead, he praises his own talents in order to bring glory to himself. And then when he dies, his works and achievements die with him and his glory goes to the dust. Okay? So this is the kind of person who over-glorifies um, a gift that one has, right? Of thinking that this gift that I have makes me like the superpower, right? And you'll see it come out in, in various um, conversations. I know one agnostic in Canada um, who would keep on repeating, like he was the first person that came to mind when reading this, this section other than myself, um, of like, no, 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 it is my intellect that got me here, okay? Like, this success is purely because I am smart, right? It is not for, like, any other reason, right? And it's, it's, it's that mentality that's being stopped here, of saying, well, I'm just so gifted, right? These other things you're talking about are an impediment to my goodness, whatever that may, may be, 
right? We all have some of that, right? Which means that you don't have a sense of, of gratitude, first of all, right? Is that you, you feel that this thing that you got as a gift, whether genetically or by grace, is somehow something you did. You didn't, right? You didn't invent intelligence, right? You are also a product of more than just yourself, right? Your, your parents birthed you. They fed you. They could have killed you. Right? They could have neglected you and let you die. Right? They could have made sure you didn't get into Like somebody was doing something for you. Right? Somewhere, somewhere, someone did stuff for you. Right? No matter who you are. Right? Even if, even, even if your parents abandoned you, someone else didn't. Right? Somewhere, somewhere, someone accepted you. Might not have been your parent. Right? But if I have this, this sense of self, then I'm going to be so blinded that God won't be able to work with me because I'm plugging up this fountain of grace with all my tissue, thinking I'm so brilliant, I discovered tissue. Right? I'm like, no, you moron, your tissue is blocking the fountain. Right? Learn how to use tissue properly. It's for your nose. Okay? So like, there's, it's, it's, it's a reversal of understanding right, of what things mean. Pardon my language. Another person who is so good at something that the gift becomes um, magnified. Um, and, I, and I have in mind there's, there's a youth what I'm trying to get at here is when you think that because you have this gift that you're privy to something that other people don't have right? so there's this, this young guy that was in youth group and I was his servant today he's a, he's a physician and they're having a big discussion because Canada is legalizing uh, euthanasia um, and there's like a, a whole discussion going on Right? And then this person thinks that because he is a physician, that all these people's opinions are worthless. Because he felt that as a physician, he is the only one entitled to evaluate the value of life. And I'm like, what an egotistical way to approach it. Right? Like, yes, you have an expertise. I don't deny that. You have an expertise, yes. Right? In terms of prognostic ability. Right? There's objective things that you can measure. But do you, with your medical knowledge, get to decide moral absolutes, right? Do you get to decide every patient's value of life, right? What if somebody's value of life is not only in a measure of pain, right? Maybe someone is, is joyful simply to see their grandkid and that that's enough to make it worth it for them, right, to have, to have life, even if it's a painful one, right? So I'm not trying to get into that debate. What I'm trying to say is, this person saw his skill set, his own gifts, as the be-all, end-all of the situation. And if I do that, I become closed to the thing that I could benefit from others. Because I'm refusing to see things other than through my state of self. This is the kind of person that Abuna is talking about here. Where I, I have an obstacle to receiving a grace or receiving something from someone else because of my self-worship of my particular gifts. I was saying, because I have this innate gift, I'm somehow different than everybody else. Um, a person in the service, for example, who worships outreach, instead of outreaching someone to walk them to God, um, because he's so excited that he has the gift of outreach, right? Where it's just like, oh, I have this gift, I better use it. Um, I, the, the analogy that I like to use is to think of like the church as a, as, as a, as a corporation, as horrible as that is, um, that has a mission statement of salvation, Right? If that's my mission statement, if what I'm trying to do here is, is to get salvation for everybody, right? is that everybody in the building has a task. So if I start worshipping the task, then I'm dealing with the task independently of the mission statement. Right? Where it's like, no, I just want to prove that like, I'm the best secretary in the world. And it's like, but we're not asking you to be a secretary because like, secretary is, is the goal. We're asking me a secretary because this mission requires a secretary. That's why we have it, right? So if I confuse the means for the goal, right, by blindness because of my gift, then I'm not going to be able to get what I need. Context is everything. At the start of this process of disillusionment, a man uses his natural gifts in serving God so as to appear he has become a new man, spiritual and worthy of being a teacher. Having progressed in this pretense, he goes on to use his Bible ministry and service of God for his own glory, just to parade his genius and spirituality. Those who are close to such people soon discover how entangled they are and are filled with pity for them and the church. 
If only these souls had submitted to God's action and had yielded to his ways of breaking down their ego and pride, Christ would have been glorified in them a thousand times over. The church, moreover, would have been greatly blessed through them. So here's the person who starts off using the gifts to serve God, turns them to be about himself. Others who are close to this person are the ones who, who realize what's going on, right? They're the ones who are like, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with God, right? This is all about this guy. Um, and the danger here, I think you all get, I'm not going to over-explain what he means, but the danger here is when this person becomes a servant, right? This is, this is a dangerous servant because they harm people. Because they are, they are impure not only in their deeds, but in their intentions, right? That they, they, they don't have a pure motive. Those who get close to these people see the reality, and it causes them confusion, sadness, and sometimes apostasy, right? We're like, if this is what the servants are like, I don't know how I can come and pray here, right? And it's a real reaction, it's a visceral reaction, right, to seeing evil in the very people who are supposed to be teaching something pure, right? So self-reflect if you're the servant or not. The next thing is presumptuously, presumptuously taking on responsibilities before being sure that one is spiritually mature. And he comments here, there are many reasons for hastening to assume the mantle responsibility, the most serious being the low standard of people in authority and those called to occupy important positions. This makes it easy for anyone to see himself if not better than his superiors, at least not inferior. Hence, the general standard of leadership deteriorates rapidly. It's funny because I look at the, the evolution of, of Sunday school in the Coptic Orthodox Church. Um, and I'm not going to beg on Sunday school. I'm not its biggest fan. Um, I think it can do good things. I'm not like, against it in, in principle. Right? But take a look at any service in the church and watch like, its development. Right? It'll start off being like, we shouldn't do the service because we're worried X, Y, or Z will happen. Right? Valid concerns, place them here. So I'm like, okay, well then what we'll do, for example, Sunday school, right? it's like, well, what if they teach wrong teachings? Right? And it's like, okay, then no. Like, Abuna is going to hand select those who he has discipled. They need to learn these things, and then they will be allowed to go teach. Right? That's phase one. With time, right, it becomes, this guy's not bad. Right, why don't we, why don't we try him out? Then over the years it becomes haram. Why are we not using this guy? Right, but yani better than him just sitting in 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 the in the coffee hall, right, drinking. Why didn't we give him a chance to participate in the service, right, so that he can love God and the church more? All of this is good intentions, but maybe he shouldn't be a teacher, right? What if he doesn't know the doctrine? Now you're putting somebody in a position of teaching who shouldn't be teaching. What happens? You get wrong teaching. What happens from wrong teachings? You get wrong behavior. And then you get wrong behavior and then someone says, hey, you're wrong. It's like, no, 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 they taught me this. Right? That's why what he's saying here is that if you put someone in a position that is not the right position for them to be in, you actually cause damage. And now many people are now having a barrier to receiving God's grace because they don't know the right things, right? It would be almost like somebody that came in and told you, oh, do you want me to teach you like, how to use like, this, this, this pickaxe, right? You turn it upside down and you bang, right? It's not going to work, right? And so it's like, no, 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 because some one guy was like, super strong and cracked the concrete when he did it once, right? Then it's like, why are we all doing this, right? So if somebody comes and says, this is wrong, I'm like, no, it's not wrong, they told us this. Right? And then they get angry right, by the guy who teaches something right. But because you had so many wrong teachers, right and wrong come into a big conflict. And then it's like, I don't even know who's right, I don't know who's wrong. I'm not going to use this pickaxe. I'm leaving. Right? It's, it's, it's a dangerous thing to have. Having bad leadership creates more bad leadership. Right? Because you create a regime. Um, and it makes people compare themselves to... Um, a cheaper standard, and here I don't mean it as an insult to servants, I mean it in the sense of the context, right? Of saying if I make something about something really small, the whole level of everything becomes really, really small. So, spiritual confusion. So, taking on responsibilities that are too big for me is like putting on clothing, okay? That's too big for you, 
or carrying a sword longer than your own body, right? Trying to save others without achieving or working on your own um, salvation. So, Abuna says that spiritually this is akin to trying to do a spiritual work using only the body, okay? Or the natural skills that you have, right? Of saying that I'm going to like fast and I see fasting is just an action of not eating, right? Where it's like, okay, so use your, your human ability, okay, to abstain from food or drink for a set period of hours. Right? Like, congratulations, what did you accomplish? Right? So he's saying that you can do spiritual things that have no meaning because you're just doing it as a physical thing. Right? You're just doing it as, a, as an intellectual exercise or as a physical um, exercise. So you don't have virtue, but you want to carry spiritual work using non-spiritual mentality. So this is a very important concept that I think many of us suffer from. Like a lot of us suffer from. It's very, very common. Right? Is that I don't have spiritual foundations. I don't have real virtues. And so I'm trying to depend on my limited human ability, right, to carry me through. So I don't have patience, and yet I'm trying to do something that requires a whole lot of it, right? I don't have um, forbearance or love or joy, and I'm trying to, to force my way through a negative environment um, that is very taxing on me. So you're trying to carry something using completely wrong tools, and so consequently... You don't feel God's work because you're not working spiritually. You're working completely mentally. This person is probably actually sincere and honest, right? This is not somebody who is, like, this person might not realize they don't have virtue. So they're not trying to be um, misleading. But the load, instead of falling on the spirit, is actually falling on one's natural abilities. But spiritual work, he says, has to be borne by the spirit which derives strength and energy directly from the Holy Spirit. This means that the old man who's been pretending and falsifying God's work has been put to death. The new man has emerged full of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a person who wants to approach a dentist's work as though he's already a dentist. Um, they limit everything to just being a, a skill set, right? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, dentistry, I could do that. You take a drill, I can use a drill. I've used drills my whole life. Right, like, like that kind of, of mentality, right? Of trivializing everything to just, it's just this random fact. So pharmacists go through this the most. Shout out to pharmacists. Um, <laughs> I can read the label, thanks. Um, and they might look at the tools and say, you know, this looks like such and such a tool. Um, but is applying non-dental knowledge to dental tools and thus may and will do damage. Um, so where do we see this? A person thinks, why can't I lead the youth group as a service? I'm all right. I turned out okay. Right? And, and people say these things. Like, this isn't, I'm not inventing it. And I'm not mocking them either. Right? And it's like Abunamata said, because they had bad examples. Right? So if, they, if, if, if you have a bad leader and it's like, well, that guy's out doing shisha and cussing out and, and is a youth servant, why am I not allowed? I don't even do those two things. Right? I just do this. Right? So why can't I be the one doing it? Which is a valid question when you have a wrong person in leadership. Right? Like that question actually is a, is a, is a valid one at that point. Um, that person starts to have spiritual warfare and doesn't even know it. And then the person starts to teach knowledge that is secular but not spiritual and advises people based on his own limited and often wrong experience. Because right? you have somebody who's not properly discipled, not properly taught, teaching people based on his, own, his or her own experience. And now you're going to mess people up. I'll tell you what I did. I did this and this and this and this. But you're in the middle of the warfare still. Or you may have been wrong, right, in how you did it. Or you're just applying secular knowledge, right? Sometimes I see a lot of servants who are offering a social service more than they're offering a spiritual service, right? Or they're trying to be shrinks and we're not shrinks, right? That's, that's not our job. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a priest, right? You're servants, right? You're, you're, you're not Freud, Okay, so don't take on a role that's not you and don't try and be secular in your service that you offer. It's not that there's no value in that secular service, but I'm saying know what is your specific role, um, what is the role of the church, what is the spiritual work and what is not, and not to confuse 
the two. Often the two will be married to each other. Often the two will be used together, right? But I've got to be clear on what is this, what is my scope, right? What is the scope of my practice? Um, and that person might say, oh, such and such felt good or right to me, right? If it feels right, it must be right. Not at all, right? It might have felt right then, but when it turns on its feet, you won't, and you've already advised somebody um, in the wrong. Um, like I said earlier, Churchill will say, why not let so-and-so teach, let him participate, um, it'll make him love the church more. It's not about that, right? It's supposed to be about the truth, right? It's not supposed to be about only what makes us feel good. If there's a way to make somebody um, used and happy, great, I'm not against that. But I'm just saying, do it in the right way, not at the expense ever of, of truth. Look at what Christ did when he came. Christ didn't go and look at the fairy and say, I'm so proud of you, thank you. Right? He's like, what are you doing? This is not my message. Right? You are entrusted to give a message and you're not doing it. Right? One of the readings you'll read in, in Pascal service that is, is really, really like scary is my people die for lack of knowledge. Right? And then he curses and blasts the priests, specifically the priests. Okay? He's like, because of you. Right? Because you sold them you. Right? You did not sell them me. Right? And so that message applies to all of you as servants, not just to the priests. Right? Is it's not about just making people feel good. I'm not against people feeling good. This message is not to just always be negative, but I'm saying not ever at the expense of truth. Teach the truth in love, right? But the truth is more important. Um, or it'll open up the church to have a gym and sports, and we'll have that argument if they enter the building, then they will enter the church. Good luck with that. Um, young priests or old priests wanting to be the main speaker on every topic, even when not experienced in it, right? We'll see this kind of thing of being like, I don't know, I got that one. But do you have that gift? Do you have that knowledge, right? If you don't, then maybe you shouldn't be the speaker or want to be the speaker, right? It's not your truth. It's God's truth. So being honest with ourselves. Um, think of when you see a kid speak with passion about some topic that interests you personally um, and think of how they say it from the perspective as a kid, Okay, you know how ignorant but honest their view is, and how limited is limited it is because you lived it, right? Um, like let's say that you were like hardcore into like basketball. I, I wasn't, right? But like or or fixing cars or something, right? So you see somebody who's at the beginning of that path, right? who is just like, oh, I just got to do blah, blah, blah. And you know they're excited and you know that they're partially right, but you also know that they don't know a lot of things yet, right? And that their judgment might be wrong, but they're excited about their knowledge and they want to use it. These are all good, right? It just needs to be guided because they could do damage. Or it's like, no, but you don't know this part yet. Okay, so let me do this part with you, right? I'll do this part with you and then give them added knowledge. So eventually they also can become experts and that's good, right? But at the same time recognizing the limitations that one has. Um, it's not safe to just teach or to just do stuff, right? It's just like it's not physically, it's not right spiritually. Um, then what's worse is that if you're the kind of person still struggling with the old man, you may have contempt for um, the things that are right. And here he quotes St. Paul from Romans saying, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, um, it cannot. Now, I'm going to skip that section for the sake of, of time. But what he's talking about is people will say things like, this person is not ready to fast, it's cruel. Right? When, when really the person just hates fasting. They think it's a horrible idea. Right? So they'll justify it by, by saying something like that. Um, or I don't want to use such and such curriculum because they teach such and such about God, and that's obviously ridiculous. Right? And maybe it's actually not ridiculous at all. It just disagrees with you. Right? We sometimes think that if something disagrees with us, then the problem is the other thing. Right? When it's like, actually, you know, maybe you're actually in disagreement, but you are wrong. Right? Or maybe you don't believe what you thought you believed. Right? You thought that the whole church agreed with your teaching, but they don't. Um, or I want to make sure Tan so-and-so doesn't take this one. Um, because for sure she'll harm her because she still thinks that it's wrong to an insert thing here. Right? Like these are, these are dangerous things where the self is still doing wrong and wants to do wrong. And so it has contempt for right and wants to teach this wrong thing as, as a right. 
Um, this is actually how the Protestant Reformation started, right? There were wrongs, right? So there were definitely wrongs going on, right? And so then the end result was, then we'll do whatever we want, since you're obviously wrong, right? And then the end result is thousands upon thousands, literally, of different denominations within this denomination, right? Because suddenly you lost the standard, right? It started with a wrong servant doing wrong things. Yes, there was corruption, right? And then the result was instead of going to the truth, it became, let's go to how I feel about this, right? This is obviously ridiculous, so let's scrap it, right? And then you end up with another wrong extreme. So all of these things are, are, are wrong. We look to the objective truth. Finally, this person... Um, Sorry, before that. Uh, I was going to actually use the example of disease again. Because um, I, I look at my own life, right? Where I had phases in my life where, like this whole concept that Ibn Amato talks about of, of, of God possibly actively allowing disease versus, versus passively. I had phases in my life where I'm like, yes, absolutely he could do that. I had other phases in my life where I'm like, no, there's no way. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, personally, right? And I go back and forth um, in my mind at different um, phases. And it's because I'm not in a place where I, I know yet, right? Like, that was the reality of it. I was still something that I'm grappling with. I didn't have enough knowledge, right? Didn't know what was true. So if you were to ask me at different times of my life, I might have given a different answer. I could have been right one time, and not for reasons <laughs> that I knew were right. I could have been wrong sometimes, and for reasons that I thought were right, all of them um, were possible. And so if I'm not yet understanding, if I'm still not eating meat, I'm still drinking milk, as St. Paul says in that same passage, and I'm trying to teach people from my milk, it's not, it's not a good system. Finally, this person, because he's spiritually immature, doesn't have the reserve to deal with real um, problems. Thus a man, he says, may be consumed by greed and have immoral earnings, indulge in a life of misleading physical comfort, or be led astray by love of family or by yielding to a passion. He may be deceived by unnecessary emotional burdens caused by human joys or griefs. Um, and so basically it's, you didn't form yourself, right? And you've, basically you, you've never worked out in your life, okay? And you're thinking that you can take on 90 pounds all at once, and you, and you can't. Right? So you go to try and deadlift that and you just collapse. Right? That's what it is. And I've seen this in, in real life. I saw there's a, there's a few elderly monks that I love back home in St. Anthony's in Egypt. Um, and they're old. So they can't physically do what they used to be able to do. Right? So now they'll sit around more. They'll, they'll talk more. I know that they know like, the Book of Psalms practically by heart. Right? I've heard from others what kind of spiritual labors they did throughout their life. I know what state, on a, on a superficial level, I know what state that they, they are at, and it's probably deeper than whatever it is that I think that I can see in them. Right? So they're in a time of, of rest in their life. Right? They're like waiting eagerly, actually, <laughs> that they want to go to heaven. Okay? And then you've got these young monks that are coming up that just want to do what they're doing. Where it's like, yeah, I can chill. I'm really good at that. Right? <laughs> and so they don't know what that guy went through. And I'm like, no. This guy can, can put up with all sorts of temptations right now because of his whole life. Right? Because of all that he went through. He knows what he's doing. You've been here for like a week. Right? So like, you don't know how to deal with any of this. And you're mistaken. Right? This is someone who's spiritually immature, being put into a place of maturity, and, and hence doesn't get to experience God's grace. Um, and this is also true of putting, putting a person with clear vices in a position of leadership. This is wrong. It's not about judgment. Right? It's about teaching. Right? You can't have some guy like who's very publicly living a, like, a lifestyle that doesn't agree with the message of Christ and say, I'm going to put you publicly in charge of this. It means that you're affirming this person. This isn't being not loving. It's about being honest, right? Like it's, it's putting as like, I don't know, like is asking a, a, a kayaker to be president of the canoeing club, 
right? It just it doesn't make sense, right? That's that's what we're not what we're about. If you want to kayak, go kayak, right? If you want a canoe, here's the canoeing club, right? But I can't ask for that person to be on this like panel as the leader of it, making decisions for canoers when he doesn't canoe. Okay, it's the same thing. Um, I was going to discuss something, but I'll skip it. I'm going to end just with this, with just with this quote, and open it up to questions if there are any. It is quite clear that the old man must die before one can begin to carry spiritual burdens of any kind. Otherwise, it is Christ who loses and the church who suffers from the ministry of those who carry responsibilities without the Holy Spirit. We bring to the reader's attention these verses that are, powerful, that are a powerful call to life of the Spirit. Hear, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. But as, at, but as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, that is the old man, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, the new man, so it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brethren, we are not children of the slaves, but of the free woman. That means that we are not born of the flesh or the will of man, but we are born of God. We are not the children of our mother and father, but children of the church militants, children of the cross and the resurrection. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Sorry, that went longer than I expected. Any um, questions, comments, or clarifications um, to anything?